Thanks, Katie. You guys can have a seat. <clears throat> well, we are, uh, we are continuing our series, our little Christmas series. We'll get back into Genesis when we get into January. But we've been in uh, kind of a three-week series that we're finishing up today <clears throat> called uh, Christ Revealed in Xmas, which I know is a, kind of a weird title and whatever. But the, the concept there is that there is a, a, a sense of common grace, that God is revealing himself in the celebrations of people who maybe don't even know who Jesus is or who don't believe the Bible is true or who don't care about church or whatever, that there's a reality in which God is being revealed even in the lives of people who don't acknowledge him. And we see that in the scriptures, but in the holiday season... We see that manifested in some really clear ways. One of the things we talked about two weeks ago is the idea that no matter who you talk to, religious, non-religious, faithful, not faithful, whatever, they, they are people who will go, man, I love the Christmas season or the holiday season because it's just so great to have family around. Or I love having my friends around the table. Or we have these traditions where we're all together. That sense of community is a thing that God has hardwired into us. Last week, we talked about the fact that no matter who they are, people love the idea of giving a really great gift to somebody at just the right time or thinking through what it's going to take to really surprise someone. And, and there's nothing like receiving a gift that you didn't expect or something that's got some special thing kind of tied to it. That's hardwired into us as well to reveal something of who Christ is. This morning, I want to talk to you about Christ revealed in nostalgia or remembrance or our memories. I think the other sort of the third category I would point to in thinking about something we all share, no matter what our faith background, is that when we think about the Christmas season, we think about holiday season, everybody goes, oh, I love Christmas, or I love the holidays because of the music, or I like the smell of fresh baked cookies, or I like the smell of a, a recently chopped pine tree, or whatever. And we all have these things, these memories that stir us. Everybody you know, and everybody you've ever met, they all can go, yeah, I got, I got some of those. I got some things that like get me a little teary or, you know, make the hair on my arm stand up or whatever, just things that stir us because of our remembrances. This morning, I want to talk to you about the fact that those, those remembrances, that nostalgia, that's not an accident. That's something God created us for. And it actually becomes a really great opportunity for us to connect with other people as ambassadors of Christ, as representatives of the kingdom of God. There's an open door in nostalgia that I I don't want us to miss, right? So that's where we're headed today. Now, when we talk about nostalgia, uh, here's the way it's defined on one of the dictionary websites online. I like this. It says, nostalgia is a, a wistful desire to return in thought or in fact to a former time in one's life, to one's home or homeland or to one's family and friends, a sentimental yearning for the happiness of a former place or time. Have you felt that? You kind of get what we're talking about, right? That sense of like, oh, I'd just like to taste my great-grandmother's, you know, chocolate cake one more time. Or I just wish one more time I could go to the tractor parade in Reedley. One of the traditions in our family, when my kids were growing up, we were living at Hume Lake. And every year on the first Thursday of December, you might want to put this on your calendar. First Thursday in December in Reedley, California, it's a little farming community up north. They have a tractor parade. And uh, when somebody first invited me to that, I, and I was like, okay... Like, what is that? Like, I, I, you know, it, what, what happens? And they're like, uh, people get their tractors and put Christmas lights on them and drive them down Main Street. And I'm like, is that the whole thing? They're like, that's the whole thing, right? So we took our kids and we ended up going every year. Like all the years we lived at Hume on the first Thursday of December, we drove down to Reedley, found a spot on the curb, you know, and watched farmers drive their lighted tractors down the street. And it was actually really fun. I miss seeing that. As nerdy as that might sound to you, uh, I, I miss being there, right? We all have memories like this. I remember when, when I was a kid, 
Uh, every year we drove to Albuquerque, New Mexico for, th- for Christmas and sometimes Thanksgiving. That's where my grandparents lived. So I'm a guy who, like my grandmother, my grandmother would make every year on Christmas Eve, she made flat New Mexican red chili enchiladas. Anybody know what that is? I think I've talked about it before. That's like my favorite, that's like my, my favorite food ever. My grandmother's enchiladas, they're not rolled up, they're flat, and you make them with New Mexican red chili. If you haven't had it, go get it. It's the best. But even now, like I, I can think about those enchiladas and it reminds me of my grandmother. It reminds me of Christmas. It reminds me of having my family around. I can smell what her carpet smelled like, which isn't particularly good. You know, all those things, right? It comes back. My parents would, uh, they drive to Albuquerque. My dad would take the seats out of the back of a van and he'd throw a mattress in there. This is before there were like seatbelt laws. And my brother and I would basically just roll around in the back of the van on the eight hours from Phoenix to New Mexico. Every time you turn a corner, you bang your head on the wall and you bang your head the other way. And while that doesn't probably sound like a pleasant experience to you, I actually think very fondly about riding in the back of a van on a mattress. I wouldn't mind doing that again if, you know, uh, these days I'd probably have to go to the chiropractor for years afterwards. But we all have these memories, right? We all have these experiences. And the first thing I want you to see before we even dive into this is that memory and remembrance is something that God created. It's something that God endorses. It's something that God utilizes and establishes. And it's actually something God assists in. Remembrance is something that is important to God. We see all the way back in Exodus chapter 12 that God says to the people in Exodus 12 at at the end of uh, sort of their departure from Egypt. In Exodus 12, 14, God says, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. God says to his people, I don't want you to forget what we're doing here. I want you to forget that I'm on the move. I don't want you to lose sight of this. I want you to have a holiday. That's essentially what he's saying. I want you to have a memorial day where you will remember my movement among you. It's not surprising to recognize that Jesus himself, right? We celebrate once a month here at this church. We celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion together. That's an ordinance that Jesus himself established. And at the heart of communion is what? Remembrance. It's, hey, don't forget, Jesus says this in, uh, in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. It says, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is establishing the value and importance of remembering and having set times and places and ways in which we reflect back. It also probably won't be a surprise to some of you that that Jesus goes to say in John 14 that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our life is helping us remember. Helping us remember the things that Jesus himself has said. It says in John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here's the point. It's good for us to remember. It's good for me to think with nostalgia about my grandmother's enchiladas or about riding in the back of a van. It's good for me to think back about my past in the fact that in thinking about it, there are some really great benefits in the present. Jesus is saying, don't forget my body and blood that are given for you. Why? So that we don't ever lose track of how blessed we are, right? That the Holy Spirit will help us remember what he said. That remembrance is important. So we're not having to learn the same lessons over and over again. God endorses nostalgia and remembrance in some ways because we don't want to forget. In fact, there's a warning. Moses, when he's writing the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, 
in Deuteronomy, and, and by the way, Moses is getting ready to die. He says to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 4.9, and I love this verse. I want you to really listen to what he says here. In Deuteronomy 4.9, Moses says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. You hear the intensity with which Moses says this? He goes, hey, be diligent. Take care. Like, be, be intentional about guarding your heart to make sure you don't forget the things that have happened before. So, remembrance, memory, these are things that are endorsed by, established by God. They're utilized by God and that God himself assists in so that we won't forget. At Christmas, but this is true all year, but at Christmas specifically, one of the things we all have in common are our memories, our traditions, the, the smells and the sights, the places we go, the things we want to do, the, 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 the regular things that stir in our hearts a remembrance of days gone by. And that's a God thing, these meaningful moments. So I want to, I want to teach the message this morning in three pieces. The first thing I want you to see here is the gift of nostalgia. The gift, well, the good stuff that comes out of remembering. And we've kind of scratched the surface on that already. But, and this is an exhaustive list. But let me give you just three of these. Not an exhaustive list. But first, memories or nostalgia should and can produce gratitude. They should and can produce gratitude. When you think back on your life and you think, man, I'm so glad for me. For, and for instance, and I know you're going to get sick of hearing me say this. But for me, I'm so glad my grandmother lived in New Mexico, right? I'm so glad that she knew how to cook New Mexican food. I'm so glad that she was good at it, right? Because when I, when I remember Christmas dinner and I think about that particular food, it's not super easy for me to get today. I'm grateful that I had the parents I had. I'm grateful that I had the grandmother I had. I'm grateful that we had food on the table at all. I'm grateful for those celebrations. Reminiscence or nostalgia should and can produce gratitude. And that's a very good thing because gratitude is the engine for joy in our life. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about giggle time. I'm talking about real joy. Gratitude is the engine for that. You lacking joy in your life? Take a look at your gratitude. And gratitude comes by, by being able to think reflectively about the things that have occurred in your life. Reminiscence is a source of that. Nostalgia. Psalm chapter 77 verse 11. The psalmist says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. There's value in remembrance because of the gratitude it stirs in us. On the flip side, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul will say it's important for you to remember where you came from so that you're grateful for where you are. Listen to this, Ephesians 2.12. says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see what reminiscence does there or nostalgia? You remember that there was a day when you were alienated from God, when you were separated from him, when you were lost in sin and darkness, but now you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's one of the values of reminiscence or nostalgia, to remember where you were and where you are and to then feel gratitude, which then generates joy. One of the gifts of nostalgia is gratitude. Secondly, I would say one of the gifts of nostalgia is that nostalgia produces change. That it can produce learning. We learn lessons by paying attention to history, by looking at where we've been and understanding what things we want to repeat and what things maybe we don't want to repeat. As much as I loved bouncing around in the back of a van on a mattress, 
I'm not necessarily doing that to my kids today. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like at this point, it's better for them to stay in their seatbelts and not bang their head into the wall. I think I, I turned out all right, but I don't want to take that chance with my own kids. Memories or nostalgia produce change. We learn and grow and change by understanding the past. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Similarly, 1 Corinthians 10.6 says, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Talking about the children of Israel. He says, all this stuff that went down with Israel happened so that we could look and not make the same mistakes. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Right? Nostalgia and reminiscence, remembering what's happened to people both in our life and maybe to the people that have come before us. It's a guidance. It's an instruction. It helps us to learn not to fall into the same traps, not to make the same mistakes. That's one of the, one of the gifts of nostalgia. It produces gratitude. It produces change or transformation. And then thirdly, Nostalgia or gratitude should and can produce faith. Because if you look back in your life and you think about the road you've walked, whether you're young or old, there should be moments along the way where God has showed up. Moments where you were lonely or moments where you were hurting or moments where you were confused or moments where you just needed God to show himself to you and he did. If you forget that, then in the present day, should you feel lonely, should you feel alone, should you feel downtrodden, should you feel exhausted and tired and angry and whatever... There is cause to go, what's going to happen? But if, through reminiscence and nostalgia, you can remember, wait, wait, wait. My God is a God who shows up. He is not far off. He is present. He is powerful. He sees me. He loves me. He knows me. He's with me. What that does then is it produces faith that is a generator for hope. Does that make sense? That's That's a catalyst for hope in your life. Because you look at your present circumstance and go, God showed up before. He can and will show up again. I love the verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Listen to the tenses here. I want you to listen to the, the past tense and the present tense. Romans eight thirty-two says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You hear those things in the past tense. God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now listen to the present tense. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Well, what's Paul saying here in Romans? He's saying... If God gave us his son, if God raised him from the dead in the past, what can't God do today for those he loves? What's he saying? He's saying, remember, in order to be provided with hope in your current circumstance. Similarly, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He's saying, remember, Jesus rose from the dead and he offers to us that same resurrection life, that same resurrection power. So when we look back and we know that Jesus is not dead, he is alive, it gives us hope in this present circumstance to know that that very same power can be brought to bear on our behalf. 
So reminiscence and nostalgia produce in our life faith, which then has a byproduct of hope, right? Because we're able to look back and see what God has done. It produces gratitude in us because we recognize how, how blessed we've been. It produces in us change and transformation because we don't have to make the same mistakes that we've made in the past. And I was thinking about memory producing hope. I was thinking about our Christmas Eve services last year. I don't know if you guys remember our Christmas Eve service last year, if you were with us. But we had planned to do that up on the rooftop of the parking garage. Remember back then we were meeting up on the top of the parking garage. And there were several churches that were meeting on our campus in the tents and in other places. And so we planned this unified Christmas celebration on Christmas Eve with all these other churches. Each one of the churches was going to take a different component. We're going to do it up on the parking garage. We're going to have fire pits. It was going to be really beautiful. See the mountains. It was going to be crisp. We'd put our scarves on and all this. And if you remember, Christmas Eve rolled around and it was pouring rain, like torrential rain on Christmas Eve. So I get a phone call from the tech crew and the musicians and they're like, we can't do this on the roof of the parking garage. Like, what are we going to do? We have to move it down to the bottom floor. Well, I don't know if you've been, maybe this morning you were at the bottom floor of our parking garage, but there is nothing magical about the bottom floor of a parking garage, right? It smells like exhaust. It is concrete and oil stains and an elevator. And what, you know, I mean, it's like the most ugly place on our campus, the bottom floor of the parking garage. And I remember thinking like, we've made all these plans and this was supposed to be so special. And it was supposed to be so honoring to Christ and so unifying in the kingdom of God. And now we're just jammed in a parking garage on the bottom floor, breathing exhaust. But if you were at that Christmas Eve service, God showed up in a beautiful way. That sense of unity, that sense of kingdom mindedness, the beauty of what was sung and what was declared. And more than anything, just our togetherness in it. Like people in lawn chairs sitting in the bottom floor of a parking garage, but going like, Jesus is with us. God is with us, celebrating the incarnation on the bottom floor. God showed up. I was moved. I, like, I had tears in my eyes on the bottom floor of a parking garage last year. And you know what? Thinking about that now gives me hope for whatever the weather's going to be like in, in a week, right? No matter what happens, I know that it's not dependent upon whether we've got scaffolding or not scaffolding. It's not dependent on whether we're in the room or out of the room. It's not dependent on what the weather's like. That God's power and his presence is worth worshiping and worth celebrating rain or shine. I know that because of nostalgia, because of reminiscence, because of remembrance. So there are great gifts, right? Growth and change, gratitude and faith. Producers of hope and joy, those sorts of things. But I also want to say the Bible is really clear that nostalgia can be dangerous. So don't miss this. There is a danger. As much as the Bible says, remember, and as many times as God says, remember, there are just as many places in the Bible where he goes, hey, don't get stuck in the past. Don't get stuck in the past, right? So uh, one of my favorite examples of this is when the people of God have returned from exile and they're building the temple anew, right? This, we, we see this story in several of the books of the Old Testament. But they're building the temple and the people are kind of disappointed. Because the temple just doesn't look as good as the old one, right? Solomon's temple was spectacular. It was gold and silver and gilded and it was like a wonder of the world. And here these exiles are and they're building a new temple and it just kind of looks like a building exiles would build. You know, it's just nothing fancy. And they're feeling disappointment because they remember the past, because they can look back to the glory days. They're living in the good old days. And God comes to them in Haggai, the book of Haggai, chapter two, verse three, and he says this. I love this passage. God says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer to the question is, it doesn't look like much to us. In fact, he says that. How do you see it now? 
Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong. O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the Lord, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The people in their nostalgia are looking at the temple they're building and they're going, this doesn't look as cool as the one we used to have. Man, you, should, you remember that old temple? It was amazing. It's incredible the things we used to do in that old temple. And God comes and he says, hold on, hold on. He's like, I know when you look at this, you don't see anything, but let me tell you what I see. It's like, first of all, remember that the gold and the silver, they're all mine. If I wanted this to be gold and silver, it would be gold and silver, right? If I wanted this to be fancy, I could make it fancy. But let me tell you what I'm doing in this new temple. I'm not so concerned with the way it looks on the outside. I'm more focused on what I'm going to do on the inside. And what I'm going to do on the inside is I'm going to bring the treasure of all the earth within it. And you think about that and you think, well, what's he talking about? Rubies or emeralds or diamonds? Like, what's the treasure of all the earth? You guys, the, the treasure of all the earth is the Lord Jesus. You see, as beautiful as the temple of Solomon was with all of its gold and silver and ornate weaving and all of that, Jesus never took, took one step inside that old temple. But the Lord Jesus, who's coming, that we're celebrating this week at Christmas, he would actually walk into this new one. So God says to them, it doesn't look like anything to you, but it looks like everything to me because in this temple, I will give peace. He's pointing at Jesus, the treasure of all the earth. Jesus will be in this temple. So don't get too focused on your, on your backwards looking is what he says there. Uh, the writer in Ecclesiastes says something similar. In Ecclesiastes 7.10, the writer there says, say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. You see, the danger is that we start to look back. That same nostalgia that can produce gratitude or can produce change or can produce faith, that same nostalgia can kind of trap us and paralyze us. I was reading an article this week by a guy named Jeremy Sabella in Christianity Today, and he, and he writes that many of us get trapped just like Lot's wife. Remember, we were just studying the story of Lot and his wife when they fled from Sodom and Gomorrah. And when they fled from Sodom and Gomorrah, what happens? Lot's wife looks back. She looks back longingly at the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities there, and she is turned to a pillar of salt. She's basically stuck in time and space because of a misremembered past. Here's what Jeremy Sabella said. I like this. I'll just quote him. He says, we too can become paralyzed like Lot's wife looking backwards to a misremembered past. Looking backwards to a misremembered past. Because, you know, the glory days, uh, uh, we don't remember those accurately. You think back on how good things were at your old job or in your old town or in your old Christmas celebration. You remember how things were when you were in college or when you were in high school and it feels like it was the best. But you know you were miserable then too, right? You know you had good days and bad days. You know that when you were first married that there were moments where you had to fight and struggle to work things out just like you do today. You know that before you had kids, things were just as hard as they are now that you have kids. It's easy to look back and be like, that was it. Those were the days. The writer to Ecclesiastes says, no, no, there's no wisdom there. You're tricking yourself. Because if you're looking back, you're missing what's happening in the present. C.S. Lewis says this. C.S. Lewis says in Screwtape Letters, 
He says the Holy Spirit works, or the, the work of the Spirit unfolds in the present. Think about that for a second. The work of the Spirit unfolds in the present. So if we spend all our time focused on the past and how good things were last year, how good things were 10 years ago or 20 years ago, we miss what the Spirit of God is doing right here in front of us. C.S. Lewis goes on to say in the Screwtape Letters, he says, when we become so focused on the past, we miss the opportunity to obey our present conscience, to bear our present cross, to receive present grace, or to be thankful for present pleasure. Because we're looking back, we can't see what the Spirit of God is doing right in front of us. So one of the dangers of reminiscence, or one of the dangers of nostalgia, is that you become so backward-facing that you miss what the Spirit of God is folding out in front of you right here. The comparison and disappointment that can come can cause us to miss what God is doing in the present time. The other danger, or the other threat of nostalgia that I'll, I'll just touch on quickly this morning is, for some of you, when you look back, you don't look back on days of Christmas past with joy. You look back with grief or pain, or hurt. To think back on the days before brings up a little bit of PTSD, or some sorrow, or some anguish. There's a couple things I want to say about that. You you don't want to get fixed in that as well. You don't want to get fixed in that reflection, or that reminiscence that just is a weight around your neck. I've said this before, but it bears saying again, and again, and again, and again, if you're here today, and you're feeling depressed, If you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling overwhelmed with grief, maybe because of the holiday season, maybe when people start to put up their Christmas lights or they start to play the Christmas music, it does not stir joy in you and uh, you start thinking about your grandmother's enchiladas, but instead all you can think about is turmoil and grief and abuse and pain. If that's you, I I want you to hear, don't carry that by yourself. Don't carry it by yourself. Let us carry it with you. Let's be family. Let's walk this path together. We are here for you. That's part of the reason why the church is not just a collection of individuals, but we're a body. If you're in the room today and the holiday season makes you sad or heavy hearted, please don't carry that alone. Let's carry it together. We've got a great peer counseling program here. We've got references for people that can help you that are way above our pay grade if you need that kind of help. But just don't be alone in it. And we'll look at this, and one of the things I want you to see here that also is a benefit, and we'll talk about this in a second, is that we start to see the redemptive pattern. We believe that God redeems all things, that he turns all stories around, that he reconciles all things, that all things work together for good. But I can tell you, if you're sitting in here this morning and you're heavy-hearted, or when you think about Christmas, you want to cry, or you feel anger or pain, or you've been through the ringer, it doesn't really do you any good in the present moment to hear a guy like me get up on stage and go, oh, God's going to work it all out. Even though that's true, even though that's true, forget about it right now and just hear me say this, you're not alone. You're not alone. I believe that there is a day coming and it might be in six months or it might be in a year or it might be in 10 or 20 years that you will be able to look and see God's redemptive work over time because I think that's who God is. But you might not be able to see that today or for the next six months or for the next 20 years. And in that time, you're not by yourself. We're with you. We want to walk with you. We want to care for you. We we want to help you heal. We want to just be your family, right? But one of the negative things that can happen is is if in your reminiscence and your nostalgia, you get trapped in a painful place, then that's truly a prison indeed. You get stuck there. You get stuck there. I, I love the fact that the biblical writers are always looking ahead. Philippians 3, 13, Paul says, Brothers, I did not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, some of the stuff that Paul had done in his past was wrong, murder and whatever. Like he, he, was, he was like killing people. But some of the stuff that he's saying, he forgets his good stuff. He's got a great resume. He comes from a great family, was educated in the right schools, has a great reputation, pretty good street cred. And he's saying, I'm forgetting what's back there, the good and the bad, and I'm pressing on to the thing that God's called me for today. What, what is that? Well, it's what C.S. Lewis would call the Holy Spirit in the present moment. What's God doing today? In Isaiah chapter 43, God says this in verse 18, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God says, I want you to have your radar up to see the new thing I'm doing. Don't, don't get trapped in nostalgia. Don't get trapped in that backward view. So we see some gifts of nostalgia, right? We see the gratitude. We see the transformation that can happen. We see the increase in faith, which produces uh, hope and joy, right? We see the dangers that you can get trapped looking backwards. You become overcritical of the present. You can miss what the Holy Spirit's doing now, or you can end up just feeling crushed all the time with a backward view. So there are dangers. There are also gifts of nostalgia. The last thing I want you to see in our study this morning is the opportunities in nostalgia. The opportunities in nostalgia. And these might feel fairly simple to you, but I think they're worth saying. The first opportunity I would want you to see in nostalgia, and and this is me now speaking to us as ambassadors. If this church is an embassy of the kingdom of God, and those of us who are followers of Christ in this place are meant to be his ambassadors, then the first opportunity that comes through the gift of common grace received in nostalgia, that everybody has these memories, is the opportunity to build community and solidarity around shared experience, right? That when you're talking with somebody and they go, uh, man, I just love the smell of fresh baked cookies or, oh man, I love me a good fruit cake or whatever, right? You, you might not necessarily even agree, but there is the opportunity for you to go, oh, you know what? I don't like that, but I like this. Or you know what? Oh, I also love the smell of fresh baked cookies. Or we do that same thing on Christmas Eve, or we used to do the same thing on Christmas day. We used to go to that tractor parade at Reedley and you're right. It wasn't very fancy, right? Whatever. There is the opportunity to hear your neighbors, to hear your coworkers, to listen to their stories and their reminiscences and to connect with them as human beings, as brothers and sisters to go, yeah, I feel that too. Or yeah, I love that thing. Gene and I did that over fruitcake this week. I was telling him, I, I watched a documentary about uh, a guy who embezzled like $14 million from a fruitcake company that he worked for. Have you watched this documentary already? Uh, and I, I was fascinated by the crime, I suppose. Uh, I'm working on my own plans to get rich, but I also, uh, that's not true. That's a terrible joke. I'm, I take it back. But anyway, uh, what happened to me while I'm watching the documentary is I kind of got fascinated by the fruitcake that this company made. I was shocked that they can make $14 million at all selling fruitcake. So I went online and I ordered one of these fruitcakes and I was telling Gene Shepard, one of our elders, oh, I ordered a fruitcake this week from Texas. And he goes, oh, did you order it from the... I forgot again. Cook Street Bakery. Collins Street Bakery. Oh, somebody else said it. Who else? You, got, you ordered a... Yes, you ordered that, right? Yes. People order these, these fruitcakes. So I ordered one. It came in the mail. I had to pay $2,000 in shipping because it's 80 pounds, right? I'm just kidding. It is really, really heavy. In fact, I put it on the counter and it's starting to it's kind of bow a little. My kids don't want to have anything to do with that fruitcake. But I mentioned to Gene, I ordered a fruitcake and he's like, I love the fruitcake from there. And I was like, well, you need to come over and eat some of my fruitcake because my kids aren't going to touch it, right? What's happening there? There's community 
that's built around shared experience. Now, Gene and I are already friends, but if, if Gene was this guy I, I met at the gas station or the grocery store or whatever, and we got into a conversation about a fruitcake, that is the opportunity to show brotherhood to my fellow man. There's an open door to go, I love that too, or tell me more about your memory. Now, the second opportunity that comes up, in my opinion, through reminiscence and nostalgia is the opportunity yourself to be a memory maker, to be a memory maker. I mean, there are places in the Bible where God looks at his people and he says, hey, we just crossed over the Jordan on on dry land. I want you to set up a pile of stones here so that anytime people walk past your kids or your neighbors, they walk past and they see this pile of rocks, they'll go, what's this pile of rocks doing here? And you can go, this is the spot where God led us across on dry land. You guys, there's a pattern there for you and I to be memory makers, to be pillar builders. Does that make sense? Throw a feast for goodness sakes, set up a memorial, do something and draw people in and go, this is going to be a thing we reminisce about in 10 years. I, uh, I haven't done it the last couple of years because of COVID, but for man, probably for 15 years, I, we always at my house do a, uh, a Christmas event, we do a diehard party. And I know some of you don't like diehard. I don't want to get into that debate with you now. I know some of you have problems, but I'm a, I'm a diehard fan. And so we would do a, a Christmas party every year at my house where people would dress up like diehard characters, right? It's a big deal. People would make snacks that were diehard themed and we watched that movie together. In fact, the best snack anybody ever made at one of my diehard parties was, and for those of you who love that movie, you'll know, Somebody came one year and they had made uh, sugar cookies that were in the shape of a foot. And then they had red frosting on them. And that like big sugar crystal, like it looks like little pieces of glass. Wink, wink. You know what I'm talking about? On the cookie, right? Now, if you love Die Hard, that is a perfect snack to eat while you're watching that movie, right? If you don't care about Die Hard, then that's meaningless to you. But you can build your own shared memories around something else, right? What am I pointing at here? What I'm pointing at is that you and I have the ability to be a catalyst for memory making in the lives of our coworkers, our neighbors, the people in this city. We can be the ones who are saying, let this be a moment we remember together where there is hope and joy and peace and love and grace, kindness and generosity and mercy. Let this be a thing we remember. You and I as the ambassadors of Christ should be the catalyst for nostalgia in the life of our neighbors in the days to come. That's the second opportunity. And then the third and final, and probably the most important of the opportunities that come with nostalgia, this thing we all share, the third and most important opportunity that comes is the opportunity to demonstrate and point out the patterns of redemption. See, when we're really close to pain and we're really close to hardship and difficulty, it's hard to see the way God is redeeming it. I I mentioned this a second ago, but given some time, you can look back and you can see the rhythms of grace. You can see the hand of God working. But it takes time to see that, right? We have the opportunity with our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors and our relatives to go, hey, as we reminisce together, can, we, can I just point out some places where I see God showing up in your story? Some places where I see God blessing you and demonstrating grace or caring for you or preserving for you or surrounding you with friends or providing you with a turkey for dinner or whatever. We have the opportunity to sit next to our friends and neighbors and go, let me show you where God shows up in your memories. Because sometimes they don't see it. Sometimes they haven't seen God working and yet we know he is on the move. We know he is at work. And so as his ambassadors, we have the opportunity in the same way that Jesus sat down with people after his resurrection and said, let me show you all the places in the Old Testament where I show up. By the way, I want to sit through that seminar. 
But in the same way that Jesus said, you maybe didn't see me here, but here I was. We have the opportunity to sit with our friends and neighbors and family and go, maybe you didn't see Jesus in this, but here he is. There is redemptive work that God is doing in the course of human history, but there's also redemptive work that he's just doing in the little moments of our life. In the little things, the little graces and the little joys and and the little bits of community. We have the opportunity to help people's eyes open to lessons learned, corrections made, perspective gained, bad turned to good over time. It creates a pathway to show God's hand in our lives and in theirs. Christ's work in human history. It's all part of the same story, this redemptive story that's being told. And And I'll finish with this. We talked a lot, especially in our study in Genesis, about the fact that at the beginning, we were whole. We were united with God and with one another and with creation. There was a wholeness that happened, a unity. And then sin came into the picture, and it's been brokenness ever since. Brokenness with God, brokenness with one another, brokenness with creation. We see the effects of that all the time. You know that every person you know, every person you know, whether they're Christians, non-Christians, whether they are ambivalent or whether they hate church or whatever, it doesn't matter where they're at on, on the spectrum of those kinds of things. Every person you know, do you know that in their guts, they long for wholeness? It's because they're built for that. Why do you think all these Christmas songs talk about peace? Why do they talk about love? Why do they tell? Because we're all hungry. Even people who are in some ways kind of actively creating division and war. At the end of the day, if you're really to drill down, those are people that are hungry for wholeness between God and man, between man and man, man and woman, man, woman, God, and creation. You know what that is? You know what that hunger to be whole is? It's nostalgia. Because as created beings, we were whole at the beginning. We were in right standing with God and with one another, and with creation. Genesis 1, we looked at it together not too long ago. And all of us, whether we know the story of Genesis 1 or not, all of us, whether we've stepped foot inside of a church or not, all of us are nostalgic for wholeness, for peace. It's why community is such a big deal. It's why intentionality, think about all the trendy things that happen in the world from people that aren't even religious. They're all focused on trying to create some semblance of wholeness. Why? Because wired into us from the ground up, we're hungry for a day when we are in right standing before God, right standing with our fellow man, and right standing with creation. And the only way that will come to pass is through the work of Christ. That he came to earth, that he took our sin upon himself, that he died in our place, that he rose from the dead and extends to us resurrection life. That's how that nostalgia for a thing maybe they don't even remember ever having tasted will finally come to fruition. It comes to fruition in the person and work of Christ, which we are the ambassadors of. So, Christ revealed in Xmas, right? Christ revealed in our, in our love of family and community. Christ revealed in our loving of giving and receiving gifts. And Christ revealed in our nostalgia for those wistful moments from the past that both create gratitude and faith and hope also can be dangerous if we get trapped in them, but provide a great opportunity for us to step in, to lean in with the, with the human beings around us and say, I want you to be able to see God at work in your story. And I want you to know that God will restore all things. And that is what Christmas is about. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see. Eyes to see the places and the opportunities to have 
God conversations to represent the kingdom of God in our ambassadorship. And it doesn't have to be in fancy religious language and it doesn't have to be uh, a bunch of quoting of scripture or whatever. Sometimes it's just as simply as saying, yeah, I love that too. Tell me more. Setting up a pile of stones in our own life, throwing a feast, having a diehard Christmas party where we can gather people in our homes and say, this, this community we feel, this joy we feel is built in us by God and it will never fully be realized until Jesus has restored all things. And I pray that you'd help us to be flashing signposts that point to the grace that you've given to all mankind and that you would help us to be tour guides in this life to redirect people's view back to you who are redeeming and restoring all things. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.